What would life look like if our good intentions were inspired enough, empowered enough, and challenged enough so that all those dreams became real, tangible good in the world? On Practice Good Podcast, you will find authentic stories, challenging conversations, and real responses that will inspire, empower, and challenge your social impact journey. But this isn't all. Good business and good programs and good social enterprise are only as good as the health of their leader. And on this podcast, we will pay special attention, not only to the good that we give to the world, but to the good that we live within ourselves, our soul care. Welcome to Practice Good, a podcast for change makers. I'm your host, Shiloh Kashima, practitioner of good, pastor, and mom of two spicy Nigerian littles. Get ready as we turn your good intentions into positive change. Hey friends, welcome back. We are on episode two of season two of the Practice Good podcast, and I am here, Shiloh, straight from Nigeria, just like our episode one, and I'm excited to talk to you guys a little bit about some things that have been on my heart lately. In fact, today, um, I found a way to sneak away and get a pedicure. I know, that's crazy, especially if you're in America, you're like, what? Like, there's pedicures in Africa? Yes, guys, they only show us all of the worst things that we could see about Africa in the media. And um, there are a lot of incredible things and essential services, not that a pedicure is essential, but there are lots of different services that we get in America that are also here in Nigeria. And we just don't hear about them because telling people about pedicures on CNN in Nigeria isn't really capturing a lot of attention. So, of course, media draws attention and our attention is drawn to the worst. So we've pretty much gotten this picture of the continent of Africa as being, you know, filled with poverty, um, orphans, children all over the streets, um, people starving to death, wars, lack of safety, uh, corruption. We have all these ideas, right? And then there's some of us who've traveled to different places in Africa and we're like, no, there's a lot more. And there is those things, not everywhere, but they are there. They exist. That's why they're on the media. But the same thing is in America or anywhere else. Um, I always think about how silly it would be for you know, what if Nigerians flew to America to visit on vacation? And the first thing they did was ask for, can I go see a foster care home or a group home? And I'm just going to sit and play with the kids hair and um, give them, you know, blow up dolls and give them candy from Nigeria and take pictures and send that home. And that's essentially what we do a lot as Americans in uh, other countries, especially countries that have, um, that are a part of a developing process that's currently happening. I mean, we're all developing, every country's developing, but there are certain countries that are categorized as developing because of the nature of where they're at in their growth process. But today I snuck out, I don't know if I was sneaking very much, but I drove a car in Nigerian traffic, woot woot, go Shiloh, white woman behind the wheel. And um, I'm finding my way around and I found this really cute little um, salon. They did pedicures and things like that. And I immediately met this beautiful woman who, 
who is asking me why I'm here, what I'm doing, what's my purpose. So we begin to tell her about our NGO, the leader team, and how we're training entrepreneurs. And um, and also how we, ha- we have a few businesses uh, with the bottom line of just creating more uh, long-term sustainable job options for Nigerians. And through that, she began to tell me about other things that she does. Um, she went to school in Ghana. Her, she did her university there and she mastered in commu- mass communications. And one of the things she does is she advocates uh, for different topics that personally affect her, but also affect people she knows and the country of Nigeria and really people in general, humans, human beings. Um, and she began to show me her Instagram and she had poetry and spoken word and um, essays that she recited about depression, about suicide, about sex trafficking, about uh, what she calls jungle justice. And this was something new for me. I learned jungle justice. She she gave me this scenario um, that she experienced in Ghana where a gentleman who was part of the police services was off duty and out of uniform one day. And he was uh, walking through the town and he was buying something from the market. And he happened to have lifted his arms to get something. And the woman that he was in the market uh, purchasing from saw that he had a, a pistol in his back, uh, the back of his jeans. And because he was an off-duty police officer, that was okay, but he had to keep it concealed. And immediately she began yelling, thief, 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 he's he's a thief. And the entire community jumped on him and began to beat him. And he was beaten until he died. And she said, this is called jungle justice. And it's a real problem. She goes, people take the law into their own hands. And he should have been given a trial. He should have been given, you know, a courtroom and a jury. It was interesting her explanations of this and how passionate she was about these topics. And so she would speak about them and she has an audience that listens to her. And I said, you know, in my country, in America, we would call you an advocate. And she just kind of looked at me and I said, we would call you someone who works in advocacy, who speaks about taboo topics, who stands up for injustices and things in the community. And we talked about social injustices. We talked about the economy. We talked about hope and how important it is for people to have hope. And she began to talk about how the real issue that she sees in the economy is that there's just not enough jobs. And there are more jobs, she assumes, in other countries, in America or Great Britain. And she assumes that there's more opportunities for people there. And so we began to kind of think through the ideas of what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? And is it actually the right solution? I was telling her about how this is exactly what we do. We train people to have the skills. And Nigeria is a highly educated country. And there's just not enough jobs in engineering, to be a doctor, to be in the oil industry, to be in government. I mean, those are pretty much, I think, am I missing anything? Those are pretty much the top four that every parent wants their child to do because that's where the money exists. That's where it lies. And when people get degrees, those are the jobs they're waiting for, even if they get degrees in something different. Now, it's kind of interesting. And this podcast is going to be super silly to a Nigerian because you're going to be like, why is she just talking about real life and things that exist. This audience here in this community is basically international and a lot of them are Americans. And so I know that a lot of you guys are really excited to hear about the differences in culture and the things that we're learning here and how we're experiencing the changes. And so 
you're going to get some of that here. But um, in Nigeria, people that go to university, uh, there's only a certain amount of spots for each degree program. So you apply for a degree program. And if all the slots are taken, you are just assigned to a different degree without your choice. You don't get to pick. You get whatever degree they put you in. So my husband really wanted to be an engineer. That was his dream all his life. And he was just slotted in town planning, which is equivalent to urban planning in America. And luckily, God knew what he was doing. And those things that he's learned, we've been able to apply with his master's in business and my international economic development background to be able to create jobs and um, help economies grow and help people create sustainable incomes. But at the time, you know, he was given whatever there was open slots for, regardless of whether he was gifted in that, regardless of whether you know, he felt called to that or he wanted that. And that's just kind of how it works here in Nigeria. And so there's a lot of people with degrees um, and no jobs. And there's a lot of people that uh, really are working hard to make ends meet, but, you know, really just could use some training on entrepreneurial skills. So there's a lot of opportunities here. Um, I was talking to the girl in uh, the salon today and she was just saying, you know, even being an entrepreneur is difficult. Because oftentimes, if you're going to do something innovative, you need products from outside of Nigeria. And those products come with a currency exchange, and that goes up and down. So one day, I could pur purchase product from America, and it'd be at a good rate. And the next day, the currency exchange rate can change. And all of a sudden, I'm struggling to even buy my product for my inventory. She said, another thing is taxation. The taxes are high. So you pay high taxes. And oftentimes, you're really struggling to just pay your basic operational expenses. Another thing that she explained that was difficult is also that you pay for electricity. And yet the government uh, provides electricity and it will just go off randomly. So you can pay all this money in electricity and then it will go out in the middle of you servicing a customer or client and there's nothing you can do. So you have to invest in a generator. And a generator can be 4 million Naira, which is about eight. Thousand dollars is that right? Eight thousand dollars, yeah, eight thousand U.S. dollars. So you invest in a generator, so that's another cost up front. That leads us to the fourth difficulty of being an entrepreneur here in Nigeria, which is startup capital. And if you don't have startup capital, you could have a great idea, but no money to begin your business and to get over all these little hurdles. So those are four of the things that she had mentioned. Um, that were difficult with entrepreneurship in Nigeria. And I just want to share with you guys some of the things that I think are key in uh, really becoming an entrepreneur that is successful. And I think these can be translated to any country. And they definitely, they come from a background, my background in social entrepreneurship, which creates social impact. But a for-profit can do these equally as well and also find success in them. So I just want to share with you guys today 10 key principles of a successful leader. And the reason why it's not just principles for entrepreneurs is because principles of entrepreneurship can be utilized in any sector. Whether you're in government, whether you're in for-profit, whether you're a non-profit, whether you are the CEO, whether you're an innovator of a startup, whether you have worked 
in a marketing company for 20 years. There is entrepreneurship and then there's intrapreneurship. Intrapreneurship is is to create something internally. It's like imploding it, right? Instead of exploding it from the outside, you're imploding it from the inside. You can actually create innovation from the inside of a company. And those can be programs or projects or new lines of development for your company, or they can simply just be growth. So here are 10 principles that I would love for you guys to jot down some notes for whatever sector you're in, whatever field you're in. uh, They will help you become um, a person of innovation, a person that's thinking creatively outside the box and solving problems that meets the needs of your community. Uh, So first one is very simply, as I just stated in the last sentence, is solve a problem, right? Solve a problem. What difficulties, what frustrations do you have? Just go a week And every time you have frustration, difficulty, write it down. So here in Nigeria, one of the things that we have tried to do is just continually keep a notepad of little things that frustrate us. What would help us? We have some ideas about as expats or people from other countries coming in, it's very difficult to know where to get things. It's very difficult to know where to shop for things, where to buy things, um, where to get utensils for your kitchen or uh, weights to work out or a rug for your children to climb on or I don't know, you know, I'm thinking of like a toddler here. If I need to get a certain kind of meat, where do I go? And there's lots of different places you can buy things here, but when you're driving and you get somewhere, first of all, it can take you a while to get somewhere due to traffic. Second, uh, due to the police or they call it AMIC, I believe here, uh, they might stop you on the way and then it could take a while to go through the process of uh, learning what they need and what documents they need you to share. Uh, Then by the time you get there, you have to search around for where things are placed. And as an outsider, that is a sensory overload. It's a lot. And so it can take all day to get two errands done, right? And if you go to two stores and they don't have what you need and you realize across town might be another store, but you're not quite sure, uh, it takes a lot of energy. Uh, It takes a lot out of your uh, goals of being here, out of your business, out of the things that you need to be doing, out of your time with your family. And so we're writing down these things like what could help people coming from the outside really be able to you know, create some conveniences that would work better and smooth out their move. And so we were thinking, what about a concierge service, right? What about an app that assigns someone a personal concierge and it's like a person that hangs out with you for the first month and they help you navigate the city and they help you figure out where things are, right? So like we're thinking, what is the problem and how can we step into that gap and how can we create something that serves people? Because if there's a frustration, most likely you're not the only person frustrated with it, right? So whether you're living in Nigeria or America or Great Britain or Portugal, we should be asking ourselves, how are we filling a gap? And that is the same thing we should be doing even if we're not entrepreneurs. If you are working at a company and you are not solving problems and you're not creating solutions, then most likely you're not in a long-term position. You're and you're not going to get promoted. If you want to be promoted, if you want to move from somewhere, if you want to make your company stand out among competitors, you have to first and foremost be asking yourselves what problems are there, how can I fill the gap, and how can I serve people in being able to meet their needs, right? Every frustration is an opportunity. The second one is purpose, right? What is your purpose? Don't start unless you have a passion for something. You know, my husband and I, we write down 
different frustrations all day long because you never know what we're going to get passionate about. But we do not jump on a business on every single one of those ideas. Because if you don't carry passion for it, you're not going to withstand the bumps in the road. Because when you're not passionate about something, those bumps in the road feel like mountains, right? But when you have a vision, a vision that is so big, every one of those bumps, those those and maybe mountains, it makes them feel like small speed bumps, right? So make sure you're passionate about it. Make sure you love it. Make sure that you would do it even if nobody paid you to do it, that you would just do it for fun because it gives you purpose and passion. It's where it's where those two things, purpose and passion, intersect with the world's greatest needs that you will find something you're meant to do. Number three, the third thing, the third entrepreneurial principle that every successful leader should know is that people are your most important asset. People are your most important asset. Whether you look at your customers, your clients, your constituents, your team, all of them, you should be treating them as if they were Jesus. There's scriptures that talk about giving water to the least of these, where Jesus actually said, when I was in prison, you came and visited with me. And they were like, what? Like, where? when When did I visit you in prison? And Jesus said, I am in each of these. That's basically what he was saying, right? Like, when you look at me in the eyes, when you look at these people in the eyes, you're seeing me. I remember years ago, I went to Mexico and I was like, um, I was in middle school, believe it or not. And I remember... Uh, I remember asking God before I went on this mission trip, God, I just want to see you. I want to see Jesus. And I remember I was painting and I was doing some other things. We were doing vacation Bible school, which is the essential thing you should do on a mission trip when you're (laughs) in middle school, probably not painting buildings and building them. (laughs) And I asked the Lord, Lord, where are you? I want to see you. I want to see what you look like. And I remember looking in one of these children's eyes and the Lord just said to me, I'm here. This is, this is me. And that is, That's biblical, right? It's in the Bible that each of these people that we're serving, that we're working with, each of our clients, even our staff, we are serving Jesus. I'm not using my staff to serve my clients. I'm not using my team to sell my product. I'm serving my staff and my team so that they can serve their families better. And when I serve them and their needs, they don't have to watch their back so much because they know they're going to be taken care of. And they can fully focus on serving our customer and our client as they watch my example of how I serve them, right? Your team is your extension of you. They are your hands and feet. It's the same way that Jesus said that we are his hands and feet. So we need to treat them well. We need to honor them. We need to give them titles that honor the work that they do. I can't tell you how many times I've like watched people and I'm, I I see people in businesses and I'm like, do you have to call every female that works for you a coordinator? (laughs) You know, like, let's give them the title they deserve. If they're a director, give them the title of director. If they're a pastor, give them the title of pastor. If someone is doing the work, call them what they deserve. I love the example of Starbucks. They don't call their employees or their staff employees or staff. They call them partners because legit, they could not do it without their team. These are partners, right? And they give them a a pound of coffee a week or a box of tea, whatever they prefer. And all they have to do is walk into any Starbucks store, even if it's not their own, punch in their partner numbers, and they get to pick out a free bag of coffee or a free tea once a week, as long as they work there. They also get stock and they get free coffee and drinks while they're working and within like an hour before and after 
And they also get like 30% off on a regular basis. And when it's Christmas time and there's discounts, they get even higher amounts. They can get up to 50% off. These are showing their partners or their employees, their team, that they value them. And that's why you walk into Starbucks and very rarely, very rarely do you hear of a staff person at Starbucks giving bad service. Very rarely, most of the time, people make you feel like you're walking into their living room because they've been trained well, not only trained well, but they've also been treated well. So number three, make sure you're treating your people as the most important thing. Number four, product. People are thinking, how much can I get without spending too much or how little can I give and how much can I get, right? And honestly, it makes me super skeptical of every industry. And I hate that. I want to go back to a time where I really believed that the product I was buying was like legitimately the best product that they could serve. That makes me feel good. I mean, right now we look at furniture. It's even built different than it used to be. It's not solid wood. It's particle board. We do online things and we take classes and the person, instead of giving us the information that they promised us in the course, they'll like transition us to, and if you want the last point, come for this next $500 class, right? There's this feeling of people trying to suck things out of you without actually providing you with excellence, with quality, right? With value. And can you imagine if Christians especially were known in the world for being people that did not try to jip other people from, you know, like skimp them out on like, oh, maybe I could get a little extra money if I you know, don't spend as much on the quality of the product. But if we actually, if we actually produce quality and people came back and they were like, wow, I was given more. I got more value than I thought I was going to get. So you can have all these other things. You can have great employees. You can have great ideas. You can solve problems. You can have purpose. But if you don't invest in your product, if you don't make it the best, most quality product, then you will be known for that. It doesn't matter how great your idea is. If the product isn't great, it's not going to work. So let's make sure that our product is excellent and that it's not just excellent when we start out, but it continues to grow in excellence, that we don't just open the doors to our building and it was excellent once and now it's not well taken care of. Let's make sure that things are well taken care of, okay? So your product is so important. Your product is so important. And I think kind of a secondary sub point to your product being important is also your position. As an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, you've got to constantly think about your position in the marketplace, right? This is one of the things in Nigeria that I think everybody is well aware can improve. Like I went to this cute little salon today. There's no signage out front. Everything's behind gated communities because of safety reasons, but there's no signage. Even when I walk back, I have to ask some stranger on the side of the road, hey, where's the beauty cave? And he sends me way back and I'm going, oh crap, I don't know where I'm walking to. And I am following a random stranger back into the back of what looks like an apartment building. And I walk in and it's this beautiful oasis of a salon and no one would know. And so I asked them, I asked the manager, how do you guys get your clients? And she said, mainly Instagram. Everything's done on Instagram. That was really good for me to know because if you're anyone, you're on Instagram. If you're not on Instagram, you don't exist here. But the reality is, what about all those people who aren't on Instagram? What about the grandma or the auntie or all the people that are not as internet savvy? 
what do we do? How do we position ourselves? Are we in a place where people can see what we're doing? Are we branding ourselves well? Is our branding attracting the type of client and buyer that we want? What about our physical location? Are we in a place that supports entrepreneurship? Or is it a place where people go, oh, I don't want to walk back to that because I felt a little nervous at night when the lights were out in the, in the you know, parking garage, right? Where are you positioned? And that's online too. Where are you positioned? Who's selling your product? Who's saying your name? What's going on? So you want to think about that as you're thinking about your product. Another thing that you want to look at when you are considering how you can integrate entrepreneurial principles into your leadership is the power of words. I can't tell you how many websites I've been to where the entire website just talks about the business. And that sounds probably as you're listening to this, you're like, well, isn't that what they're supposed to do? Well, yes and no. When I, as a client, come to a website, I'm looking for a solution. I'm not looking for you to tell me about you. Now, you might be saying, well, I am the solution, right? If I'm a salon and I tell you about all my services and you're looking for a service, then I am a solution. So wouldn't it be right for me to talk about myself? Yes and no. I could say I'm a salon and I do hair I do plaiting, which is braids for the Americans there. I do nails. I do pedicures. I do, you know, you can list all the things. I do massages. Or you can say, you're tired of feeling exhausted? Your feet worn out? Could you use a good massage? And then you go into your products, right? Then you go into your services. When you are able to learn how to do copywriting well, then you are able to draw people in from their pain point and help them to see the vision for their life and help them to see that you are serving them on the quest for their vision, right? It needs to be succinct. It needs to be easy. It needs to be clear and understandable. People need to know what you do within an instant. People do not give lots of time to reading things. And that's another thing that I would say is a great recommendation for marketing here in Nigeria. The temptation is to take all the space that you're given and put a lot of words in there so everybody knows all the information you need. And I would say simple is better. Simple is better. Make it short and sweet and easy to read. Too much word make, words makes people tune out and they're not able to really get the full picture of what you do. Give them just enough to be able to call or to look you up on Instagram or to read your bio or to click on your website, but too many words um, and you lose everybody. Number six is pace. Number six is pace. As an entrepreneur or a leader who values entrepreneurial skills, you need to consider your pace. This is something that um, I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say, and it sounds kind of weird when you're not familiar with the concept, but money moves fast. Money loves speed, right? Innovation moves fast. How many times have you gotten an idea? And you thought, oh, I should invent this or, oh, I should do this. And you never did it only to see it come up on Shark Tank the next year, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I totally had that idea. I could be a multimillionaire right now. Money and ideas and innovation love speed. You have to enter market when you think about it because the moment you think about it, it's a need. It's a frustration. It's a problem that needs to be solved. But the longer you wait, people are solving that problem. And eventually your idea is no longer relevant. The solution that you thought about has already been found. One example of this is during COVID, which we still are in. I had this incredible idea. I was sitting in Florida 
and I was trying to figure out how to get my kids out of the house. And I had this idea of like, what if we had an app that was like Airbnb, but for backyards? Like legit, wouldn't that be cool? I would totally rent some of these people's backyards. How cool would that be? I would pay for that. I didn't think anything else about it. Actually, I thought about it for a little while, but you know, who knows how to do an app? Who knows how to make that? Who knows how to start that? And I am in Nigeria and all of a sudden a advertisement pops up for a company called Swimply. Swimply, get it? Simply and swim. And you legit do exactly what I thought of. It's an Airbnb for pools. And it was started during COVID. And somebody is making money off of it because money moves fast. There's a pace involved. Innovation moves fast. You have to have perseverance and you have to get through. You have to get through the obstacles because there's going to be obstacles, right? You're going to move fast and then all of a sudden you're going to hit an obstacle and you go, oh, maybe this wasn't from God, right? We had that problem here. You know, we're here. We've moved our family across the world into another continent. We're here for three months and we're trying to find a location for our business. We currently have some small offices, but we need to expand and we need to expand right away. And we have a budget, a small budget, but we have a budget And we've been looking at houses like crazy. We've been looking at properties. We finally found something that we really, really wanted. We were in contract with someone. And out of the blue, we are told that they were told by the owners not to give us the property, that there's someone else that they want to work with instead of us. And we were literally crushed, like discouraged. What is going on? Is this a favoritism thing? Is it about... Is it about my skin color? Is it about language? Is it about religion? Is it about tribe? Because that happens here too. There's a lot of what we call patronage or favoritism where people give deals and give jobs to people that are friends or family, regardless of whether they're qualified for them. Eventually later on, we found out that there was just some miscommunication, but our minds created this big obstacle out of something we were going through. And the reality is you can move fast, you can move speedy, you can get your feet on the ground and get muddy and dirty. But if you don't have the vision behind it, it's going to be extremely hard to withstand those obstacles. You're going to you're gonna want to give up. You're going to want to fall back. You're going to want to go, I thought I heard from God, but maybe not anymore. Number seven is potential pain points. It's exactly what I'm talking to you about now, right? As entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs, creating something out of nothing in the world, solving a problem, creating solutions and creating jobs for people to do the same and come on board with us. It comes with pain points. It comes with pain points. So one of the biggest things I'm going to say here is start with a SWOT analysis. SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Strengths and weaknesses are internal. What are your personal strengths and your personal weaknesses? As a business, product, or team, make sure you analyze those. Put them in a chart. Make sure you really dig deep internally. And then look at the external opportunities and threats. These are outside factors that you need to look at in relation to what you're doing, your product, your program, your service, your team, right? What are opportunities? Is the economy changing? Is the um, Are you about to hit a new election cycle? Um, do you have different partners that you can work with? Is Are you in a location that's really, really uh, um, heavily populated with people that would be your potential population and clientele? See, these are different outside external opportunities. And then threats would also be external, right? What What is happening? Again, you can look at political. 
You can look at, you know, maybe the area you're in doesn't allow signage. Maybe uh, you are in a in an area that doesn't value the product or service that you provide. So I don't know what it is, but you're going to want to create a SWOT analysis. You can look this up online, but you want to make sure you go into things with a clear, vulnerable, humble position of understanding what is potentially going to work right and what could potentially go wrong. And then from there, you can create solutions, right? So number eight, another thing that you're going to look at as a person who values entrepreneurial skills in your leadership is the practice of integrity. And I want to just equate that to what I call transparency. When it comes to business and when it comes to policy and when it comes to different processes, those things have to be transparent. And transparent means they have to be posted publicly for anyone of any religion, background, color, culture, language, belief system, sexual orientation, every difference, every uniqueness that there could be. It doesn't matter where people come from. There has to be a transparent and fair process. And if we, the reason why transparency is important is because if it's not posted in a, in a public place, whether it's online, which is online, that's the way to go these days, right? It's easy. You don't have to post something actually in a public place. But if you have, if you're a nonprofit or an NGO, you need to have your financials available for people to see. If you have processes for applications or auditions or different type of licensures or certifications or registrations, all of that needs to be publicly posted and available for people to see so people know exactly where they are at in the process. And they can also hold the system accountable to follow that process, right? When things are not posted, they're hidden, which means they're in the dark, which means they're shadows, which means it's difficult to know when it's being followed and what is fair. Number nine. Number nine is planning. Planning, right? So oftentimes we get great ideas, but we don't plan long-term. We don't create a strategic plan for long-term growth. Make sure that you understand what your goals are, not only for the month, but for the year, and what percentage of growth you want annually. And how will you do that? What are the tactics in place that you will use? How will you communicate your vision to the team? No one invests in a person without a plan, right? You have to write it out and ask for feedback. Ask people what they think. Ask others who've gone before you. Get mentors. Ask people who've done it so you don't have to reinvent the wheel, okay? And number 10, the very final key to entrepreneurial principles for every successful leader is perspective. Perspective. Get outside of yourself. At first, you're going to start with fresh eyes, right? You're going to go into this. You're going to go, oh, I'm about to solve a problem. I know what's going on. Like, And here are the innovative ways that I can create something new. That fresh perspective is what is going to give you solutions, right? But once you get comfortable, you will start having reasons why new ideas can't be done. And when new staff or employees or your team come on, when you have consultants, all of those things, they're going to say, well, what about this? And what about this? You're going to have a list of reasons why you've already thought about that and why it won't work. Get used to asking someone else's perspective. I always would tell my team at the last NGO I worked for that when you hire consultants to come in 
and help advise your team, it doesn't necessarily mean they know more than you. It simply means they're coming with fresh eyes. Yes, they've been trained, but these are things that you were able to see when you first came in as a new employee, but you assumed you didn't understand. And instead of coming and saying, this doesn't make sense, and then creating solutions for what doesn't make sense, because if it doesn't make sense to you as a new employee, most likely it's not making sense to anyone else on the outside or any clients or customers, right? Or partners for that matter. Instead of being confident in our questions of what doesn't make sense, we question ourselves and think, well, I just didn't finish that part of the training yet, right? So I would encourage you as an entrepreneur, have perspective that's outside of your box. Study things other than your specific field. Make sure you're volunteering in places. Make sure you're having outside uh, perspectives and questions and asking the questions why. The hard questions, the things that make you need to find answers and maybe need to get them from other industries. Make sure that you're evaluating your programs. This is another way you get perspective, is getting clear and honest feedback. Feedback is always good, no matter if it's bad or good. If people just, if you turn out a survey to your customers after they buy your product and they just belittle you, they're like, this is horrible, this is the worst product, I stood in line forever, the customer service was horrible, you might be tempted to never give a survey again, right? But the reality is that is excellent feedback. Because now you have something to work with. The worst kind of feedback is no feedback. Because how do you mold and shape your program, your service, your product when you have no idea what people think? If you're anything like me, you are a person who's like, you know what? I want to know. And I want to grow. And if I can know the areas where I'm lacking, I can find a solution. But I lack fresh and clear outside perspective the longer I'm in something. So hire some unbiased consultants, get some feedback, make sure that even your staff, even your team has an opportunity, an ongoing opportunity for authentic, raw, vulnerable, anonymous feedback that they will not get in trouble for so that you can learn and grow from that, right? Your company dies when your feedback dies. Let me say that again. Your company, your vision, your mission dies when your feedback dies, okay? Because if you're not giving feedback, you're not growing. And when you're not growing, you're dying. You need to create a safe space for the people that are buying your product, that are selling your product, that are living your product to be able to give you feedback. And then you need to say thank you. Institute an organizational culture survey. Institute a staff turnover survey. When people leave, why are they leaving? Uh, Get the real answers. Why are people leaving? Why are people all of a sudden not buying? Or why is there a certain demographic of people that you really think should be buying and they're not buying? What are the biggest needs in your community? If you're solving a problem and you're an NGO or nonprofit, you should be doing this up front. This is called a needs assessment. You do an assessment of the community, of the people that are in need, and then you find the solution based off of the feedback and the data that you receive. You don't create programs or solutions based off your assumptions. You create it based off of the data. So make sure you're having an outside perspective so that you don't waste time, energy, and resources on a solution that doesn't actually solve anything. So let's go over these again really quickly. 10 key entrepreneurial principles of every successful leader. 
Number one, solve a problem. The problem, P for problem. Two, P, purpose, right? Three, P for people. Four, for product. Make sure you have an excellent product. Number five, the power of words. Make sure you are understanding the power of your words, written words especially, and marketing words. Number six, pace. Money loves movement, loves fast. Solutions love movement. Number seven, potential pain points. That's three Ps for you. That's even better. Number eight, practice integrity and transparency. Number nine, make sure you're planning. And number 10, perspective. Keep an outside fresh perspective that is open to learning and humility. So those are 10 things that I think will be really helpful, whether you're currently in a career that you've been in for 20 years and you're trying to get some insight about how to freshen things up, or you're new or you're an inspiring entrepreneur. Maybe you're one of the people here in Nigeria that has uh, attended some of our workshops. We've done three workshops here. We've trained, oh man, over... I think over 80 people now in different types of entrepreneurial skills. Um, We've really enjoyed connecting with local entrepreneurs and aspiring leaders. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're going, ah, man, I need to listen to this again. And I need to write down some of those details because I can apply that and I can become that in my business and in my leadership. So take those 10 Ps, make sure that you're taking these concepts and you're able to impact people's lives and influence people's lives with solutions tangible, real, valid solutions for change in our world. And hopefully these will serve you really, really well. And I hope you enjoyed a little bit of our fun commentary on Nigeria. And I'm excited to tell you that um, I've had some requests of people going, we want to know more, like tell us about the culture, tell us what you're eating, tell us what you're experiencing, tell us about the marketplace. And so we're going to do a little bit of that. Um, I'm going to bring William, my husband, back on here uh, next time. And we're going to just tell you about life in Nigeria. And of course, because we are who we are, you're going to still get some of this economic development, some of this leadership stuff fused into all of it. Uh, But we're going to give you some fun stuff. We're going to give you what are we eating? We're going to give you what are the differences in foods and tastes and sounds and smells and all the fun things that I'm sure you guys love um, as well as I do if you're joining this podcast. So thank you all for joining us today. Make sure to share on your social media. Help us get the word out. And uh, we will have the Leader Team NGO website up very soon. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Thank you for those who are continuing your prayers for us. We're just having an awesome time uh, being able to live out our calling and step into spaces and uh, really collaborate with other incredible leaders here in Nigeria to be able to provide jobs and empower people and empower leaders in our community. So we will see you next week. 